Yeah, we're back. Episode 19, Saratoga Stem Cell. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannett. And this is the Stem Cell Podcast. Yosef, what's going on, my man? I'm good. How are you doing over there? I'm good. I heard something in the intro there. I got a little confused. That's yeah, no, <laughs> don't worry about that. We'll, we'll cut that out. I heard a little out. echo, and I got a little confused, but yeah. I'm back on track. And okay. uh, so, yeah, so this is an this is a cool episode. This is like a this is like a bonus episode. We were up in Saratoga uh, last week for the Next Gen Stem Cell Conference. We talked about it a lot uh, in the past few episodes. It wrapped up the end of last week. It was an awesome time, right, Yos? We had like a, we had such a great time. Yeah, I, I'm wondering what you're doing. You must be selling something, your soul of some sorts, because you every year you get the best weather in that place for that conference. It's like a beautiful... Maybe it's the time of year you're picking, but... I don't know, man, but we had two great... To your right, two consecutive years of awesome weather. It was just spring. The sun was out all day, all night, over the golf course. We walked Saratoga Town. Yosef and I and a bunch of people went to Hattie's, got some fried chicken and Hattie's. You know I had to do that. I was I know you did, but I hated until I had a piece of your wing there. That thing was phenomenal. Daylon, too. We crushed us, that chicken. It's so good. Shout out to Hattie's at Saratoga. If anyone's ever gone up to Saratoga, go to Hattie's and get the fried chicken. It's so good. Yeah, so it was beautiful. Uh, it was a great meeting, a uh, lot of great presentations. And later on in the podcast, we'll present some of the interviews live from the actual meeting. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, so we grabbed like five, uh, five of the people at the meeting. I think they were all speakers, right? Yeah, yeah, um, except for Fabian. No, Fabian uh, talked. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I no. know. I forgot. I forgot that too. When he we was, talked. So, he was one of so the first got, one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we got. We got like. So we, we we took. We grabbed five people and we had them give five minutes on what they were doing there, what they thought of the meeting, and what they talked about. So instead of an interview of a guest tonight, uh, you're going to hear uh, interviews, quick interviews with five guests. So it's a little different. Um, so, but we'll still do our roundup here of the of the literature. Before we do that, uh, I hope everyone's checking out the new website, stemcellpodcast.com. Uh, you can click on each episode and find all about the links to all the papers Joseph and I talk about. So it saves you time. You don't have to go uh, PubMed everything. You can get it right there. Um, and let's see here at stem cell podcast at Twitter. You know what, guys? We really would love you to go out and write a review on iTunes if you wouldn't mind. Um, those things really help move us up the rankings. So if you would, if you are subscribed or you're not, go to iTunes. Just write a little blurb. All you have to do is rate it. Say, uh, Yosef and Chris are great. Yosef and Chris stink. But we prefer you to say we're great. But, you know, uh, be honest and just put it out there. We really love the feedback. Or don't be honest and say we're great. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true, too. You can lie. We won't tell. <laughs> yeah, um, we're for the lie. So what do you got? Anything else, Yos? I mean, is there anything you want to talk about before we get into... Uh, uh, the podcast, like you're enjoying Game of Thrones. I'm sure we don't have time for this, but you are you enjoying it? Yes. Oh man, don't get me started uh, on that. But the uh, talk, you know, I, I got some great insights. Uh, you know, talking after you know that evening in Saratoga, I got some great insights uh, from uh, your sister-in-law. So she's up on the books, and that's always helpful to have somebody guide you through. She, the, she's a she's a Game of Thrones freak. Yeah. It's good to have one of those about to bounce off ideas. I will say this to everybody out there: I'm no young spring chicken anymore because that night we were we were drinking we had a cocktail hour on the on right out in the 18th hole which is beautiful that went to 11 or so and then we ended up going to bed at 4 i went to bed at 4 a.m and whatever happened in between uh, i can tell you that i a buddy of ours uh ended up breaking up a fight in the middle of a bar at three in the morning uh good old uh 
Mark Tomashima was uh, bringing peace to the nations in Saratoga. He, he was a hero. He was definitely he was a hero. the hero. Of he's the not night. only a hero in the lab with his cells. He's a hero outside the lab with his people breaking and, up fights. Uh, the peacemaker over there. That was great. The, yeah, he was a peacemaker. Anyway, it's a great meeting. Everyone should really come out next year. So enough with all that with the meeting. I think uh, we turn it over to Yosef. Okay, so let's uh, do the science round. I, you know, today I was reading that a seventeen million year old giant sperm was found. It was uh, reported in the proceedings of the Royal Society B. I don't know what the B stands for, but that's like pretty they're like there's an A. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I just like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's the oldest fossilized sperm ever found, and it was really large too. It was longer than the animal oh, that was found. I think inside. I read about this. Was this the one that was preserved in like in bat? In yeah, like in bat. bat- feces they, they like found it in this cave so uh it's an interesting story but that came out uh, most recently it was a queen it was a university of new south wales um study so those guys did the the hard work that's for sure moving on embo journal uh you remember we talked about them last time embo found that changes in the wind signaling pathway is the reason why colon cancer cells use the glycolytic pathway instead of the citric acid cycle for to oxidize and metabolize sugar so uh that i didn't realize this that uh cancer cells were unique that they didn't use the citric acid cycle as much as they use the glycolytic pathway so they found that by blocking wind pathway uh they were able to reduce glycolysis and the tumor size. So uh, you mm. can find that in Embo. And what doesn't Wint do these days, right? <laughs> I know, man. Wint, Wint, take Wint out, put Wint in, whatever you got to do. Uh, what's our favorite journal? Penis. Yes, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences study found uh, that a small molecule, they uh, actually designed a small molecule that inhibits HIF-1 uh, you know, hypoxia and HIF one alpha or something like yeah, that. Hi, yes, hypoxia inducible factor or HIF one alpha mimics. Uh, they were able to in, uh, disrupt its interaction with P three hundred, and this was able to reduce uh, breast cancer tumor size in vivo. You know, they put in the mice, and so they were able to reduce that. And uh, they did this uh, by they did very. And, you know, they use this um, method called peptidomimetics. They basically used a Rosetta software to guide their design and make this uh, uh, basically uh, interrupting the transcription factors um, interaction with the DNA. So it was pretty targeted. And so they have very little side effects uh, using this. So you can find that in PNAS. Uh, There was a cell paper showing that surge of thyroid hormone um, can actually happen early on in adolescence and that this um, can actually, uh, it's, it's like a, the heart muscle cells undergo an intense 24 hour burst of division in pre-adolescence. Um, and that this new study was it was carried out on mice, and they uh, found that the burst increased the number of heart cells uh, by mar- more than forty percent and enhanced the heart's ability to recover after injury. So you can find that in cell, and I guess you know we'll post it, but it's the thyroid hormone um, that was inducing that. So that, that's pretty interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, uh, there was a science translational medicine study showing that anti. Presence decrease of um in the CSF. I'm sorry, my mom just called me and ruined my um 
Uh, Come on, mom. What yeah, are you doing I'm here? I'm trying mom? to do a podcast here uh, in the CSF of uh, healthy human volunteers. Uh, so you can find that in Science uh, Translational uh, Medicine. It uh, decreased the A beta in the CSF, the antidepressants. Uh, so yeah, that's that's yeah. really exciting. That's yeah, great. yeah, that that got loud press. I don't know if you saw that uh, the element 117 was created. Uh, this was in the physical review letters, and the way they did it was pretty cool. They uh, used, um, they basically shot like calcium forty eight at uh, berkelium two forty nine, and were able to get this uh, one, you know, uh, one seventeen element, uh, which is you know new to the periodic table. So you know, um, I was thinking about doing that last week. Yeah, I had that idea, me too. but I just decided that I just it's you know I'd rather I'd rather not. Yeah, so I'm glad somebody did. That's awesome. Yeah, it took like two years just to make the Berkelium. Is like you know the background work is just amazing. If, if you could name an element, would you name it after yourself, or would you come up with something even more creative? Would it be like Yosifium or something like that? I don't think that really has a good uh, ring to it. But yeah, yeah I don't anyway, know. Sorry, Maybe some more cool. Like I don't know. Definitely not my name, Chrisium, Christopherium. <laughs> yeah, that ain't, that ain't gonna work. Yeah, I like the ones named after countries like Polonium. You know, <laughs> so um, anyhow, there was a Nature Communication study showing that CHD five uh, is a key regular regulator of chromatin re- remodeling in the sperm development. Uh, so knockouts in CHD five had severe fertility defects, ranging from low sperm counts to decreased motility of the sperm and uh, the histones are not officially re- replaced uh, in the sperm DNA with protamines. Have you ever heard of protamines before? I've heard of protamines. Yeah, I you have. know, I was I've heard from, them in the context of sperm. Yeah, it's it's sort of like the histones of the of the sperm cell. And uh, so this resulted in a less condensed genome inside of the sperm nucleus. So uh, you can find that in Nature Communications. Uh, again, more nature. Nature Medicine found uh, that heart. Uh, they basically were able to make heart disease uh, on a chip uh, by using uh, inherited cases of Barth syndrome, which is a mutation in Tafazin or the Taz gene. So uh, you can find that over in Nature Medicine. Quick shout out to that. Um, Really uh, scary news came out this week from the CDC uh, saying that syphilis has made a comeback in 2013, which is, you know, horrible. (laughs) Not Uh, something you want to have make a comeback. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes bell, like bell bottoms or jeans or something. Yeah. But not syphilis. Yeah. So in 2013, it doubled from 8.7 thousand to 16.6 thousand cases. Uh, So that's kind of stinky it was Whoa, the, that's not yeah good. you can find that in the morbidity and mortality report from the cdc yeah. oh yeah that's 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 nice you know i don't know if you're going to talk about this yes but you're on the cdc i don't know if did you see that the cdc came out and support that drug which is basically like an aids prophylactic drug where you take it and you're basically won't get aids have you seen this no that's, that's there's like this drug i forget what it's called it starts with a t and uh, the CDC has come out and, and supported its use for basic, like, if you're... The other interesting thing I didn't know is that use of condoms is down. Uh, have you seen this? I thought it was use of condoms was on the rise. But they're saying that since 2011, there's been a, there's been a drop-off of people having protected sex using condoms, in particular the homosexual men. Hmm. And what they're saying is that uh, this drug 
you basically if, if you're if you're at high risk so if you're a homosexual man and you're or and you're having uh, uh sex with maybe partners you're not you're not familiar with or just a heterosexual and, and the same or uh yeah, there's drug use involved or something like that the high risk you could take this drug uh every day and if you're taking it in the in the in all the studies i think it's like 99% can't won't won't get hiv or won't get aids when they're on this it's like a prophylactic in a uh, pill form in a pill form and so now that the cdc has come out to support this their 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 insurance is already covering this they think that the prescriptions are just going to start flying off do you the, know the uh, name of it um, I don't right now, but if you you know keep going, I'll find it before right. you're one by the time. So you're there was a cell report study on a variant of Clotho, which is K L O T H O gene, uh, is known for its anti-aging effects and uh, increased levels of this uh, gene in the bloodstream and brain uh, were able to increase uh, learning and memory. Uh, it's higher in people and mice with better memory. Uh, so the mice performed twice as good in the water maze test. So, uh, clotho gene, you could see that. Clotho. In, yeah. And, uh, cell report sounds like a star, so, star sounds Trek. Sounds like the guy from Beetlejuice. I think his name was Otho though. Oh, I like the sound of that. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so in astrophysical journal, uh, there was the discovery of our sister sun. It's located about 110 light years from earth. It's called HD, the star is called HD162826. Great name, right? Wow, that's um, tremendous. Located in the lower leg of Hercules. They should have called that uh, constellation. It is uh, 15% more massive than our sun and can be seen with binoculars. So uh, look out for HD, blah, blah, blah. Um, there was a journal of physiology study uh, showing that antioxidant might might. Mito Q uh, for four weeks was able to give mice uh, the equivalent of 70 to 80 year old, uh, hu- like really old mice that were about the age of 70 to 80 year old humans, uh, it, that this antioxidant Mitox was able to make their arteries uh, the equivalent of 20 to 25 year old humans. So uh, Mitox probably uh, does this uh, by... Um, Relieving oxidative stress via coenzyme Q10. So, Q10. Yeah, Q10. Uh, so you can find that in Journal of Physiology. Uh, there was a nature study uh, show where they were able to make like new letters of DNA uh, from the what? Scripps Institute. Yeah, it was a 15-year effort to make uh, the first like semi-synthetic organism, and they used uh, funny letters of the genome instead of the you know I always think of Gattaca G A T. Uh, C. So instead of those four letters, they were able able to make two uh, new ones called D five six or S I C S and D N A M. So I guess hmm. deoxy whatever of those uh, genes, and they were able to get taken up by like the. Uh, uh, the polymerases too, so it's pretty cool. Uh, Interesting. Pretty, yeah, they work with uh, uh, most of the enzymes uh, that process DNA in the cells. So that was cool. You can find that in Nature. Another Nature study showing the first realistic virtual universe. So this computer uh, simulation of the whole universe is called Illustris, and Illustris can recreate 13 billion years of cosmic evolution in a cube uh, that's like uh, 350 million light. years 
ears on on a side with unpredicted resolution. It's like what? yeah, it uses twelve billion three D pixels, and it took five years to develop the eight thousand <laughs> CPUs and three months of runtime. Uh, can you imagine waiting for that bar? You know, to end, <laughs> you know that like <laughs> that blue bar, that gr- uh, it like crashes at the very end. <laughs> like, no, yeah, you're at the two point five month. You've been waiting. Uh, so it's got forty one thousand galaxies in twelve million years. It goes as far oh, back okay. as twelve million years after the Big Bang. That's so so uh, from cool. then to the present, uh, this computer you can find that illustrious in uh, nature. I check that out. And uh, finally, I'll just uh, end with a couple of. Uh, uh, more nature, uh, nature communications. Uh, there was a discovery of a new dinosaur called, they dubbed it Pinocchio Rex because it's got this really, really long uh, nose, <laughs> snout, and uh, it's, it's, it's over 66 million years old and its nose is 75, 70% the size of its skull. So... Uh, Imagine the schnauzer on that guy. Yeah, Pinocchio Rex. And then finally, there was a nature medicine study. I'm sure you saw this, uh, the vampire blood plasma treatment. Did you see that? Yeah, Yeah, so they found that uh, the blood of young mice was able to make uh, older mice act and uh, be youthful again, in a sense. I'm not going to go into the details, um, but it's... It's pretty uh, stunning research. You wonder if this is going to be like the future of, uh, you know, those movies like The Hunger Games or something where some billionaire in the future is going to have young people's bloods being formed or something. To We don't really know what the factors uh, uh, yeah, are. You know what? I wouldn't doubt it because they do it like by, you know, cyclists dope blood by putting like sheep's blood from high altitude into their system so uh, i'm sure people you know i I wouldn't doubt it yeah lance armstrong went through some seriously technical and uh expensive feats to get those advantages just so uh who knows what's up with that so i'll just end on that anything uh new on your end yeah so let me so the name of so the drug that i was talking about uh the uh anti-hiv pill is called truvada Ooh. That's the generic name, Truvada. And basically, it's a combination of uh, antivirals. Mm-hmm. And it says if you take it regularly, the drug can reduce the risk of infection in, they say, high-risk populations by up to 92%, which is pretty amazing. And so what they're saying is that they recommend this drug um, – to gay men who have sex without condoms, heterosexuals who sleep with intravenous drug users or bisexuals, and anyone who has sex with someone they know to be HIV positive, uh, or if you're sharing needles. Uh, so, uh, you know, I guess they're what they're calling high risk. But um, you know where this goes, Joseph. If people think that they have an anti-HIV pill, then they can just pop pills and go out and be promiscuous. So uh, I think that's where the hesitance behind this drug was. But now that the CDC has come out and got behind it, uh, supporting it, you, you know, who knows? We'll see where it goes. But I thought that was really, really interesting. I, it's amazing for me, growing up in an era where HIV was so dominant, you know, hearing about it, it's pervasive to see that we have a pill now you can take that would render you not be able to get it. It's pretty amazing. And to see people like Magic Johnson, you know, what's it been, like 20 years? He's been oh, yeah, older yeah, than that. He, he looks you know, great. Yeah, he, lo- he looks healthier than most people. I, know. <laughs> I mean, he's like, 
Uh, so it's, uh, you know, heart therapy and all these like, you know, uh, antiretroviral therapy has really uh, extended the lives and made it almost like a livable disease. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's not a death sentence anymore. And now you can avoid the sentence even uh, in altogether. So so that that I don't know where that came uh, out of originally, but this was in Time magazine that I read about it. So um, let me move to the stem cell stuff since last we were doing this a little bit. We're taping this a little closer to the last episode when we taped. So in the stem cell world, there's not a lot of new stuff. I'll, I'll give you what I found. Um, uh, so there was this article I was reading in the news. It, it was about this. It says stem cell therapy saves the eyesight of a Fountain Valley mother. Now, you hear about these things in the news a lot, stem cell treatments that cured somebody, stem cells that did something. And I, and I thought I'd talk about this just for a second because as a stem cell scientist, I want to give my take. And as a, as a human, I, I have another side. So this is a, a woman. She had this uh, autoimmune disease that basically uh, rendered her blind. So she lost her vision. And the disease could be prevented by going on this uh, uh, steroid, a regimen of steroids, like prednisone. Uh, so she started this treatment, and she gained over 100 pounds within three months because uh, steroids can make you gain serious weight. And for her, obviously, that was a major problem. And it became so uh, – it became damaging her organs and her joints. She just couldn't do it anymore. She stopped taking the pills, and she eventually lost her vision. Um, and so then she uh, eventually found her way to this doctor out west – uh, Dr. Mark Berman is a cosmetic surgeon in Beverly Hills who's using stem cell therapy as an alternative to, medi- to medication. And so he's doing this by harvesting fat. So for her, he took, he did liposuction, liposuction got the fat out of the, uh, you know, the belly, stem, separated the stem cells at, out, sorry, and then he infuses them back into her body with an, uh, through IV. Mm-hmm. And she had these amazing results. She could walk around on her own. Uh, um, she saw like some sort of uh, uh, some sort of light or something that she's never hasn't seen. She saw this bright red something that she couldn't really see before. And so she's saying now that this this stem cell therapy has 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 helped her and made a tremendous uh, impact on her life, which I find to be fantastic. You know, someone's gotten gotten better. That's great. I just don't know, Yosef, like if this is such an uncontrolled study, right? You take cells, you throw them in a body, and you're fixed. I have no idea how or why, whatever, what's going on. Uh, the stem cell scientist in me has, doesn't understand this. Uh, do I have to, though? I don't know. The point is, is that she is, she, she's better. Should that, should that be all we're, we, we care about? This is not an FDA-approved uh, procedure. Uh, this is experimental. So I guess if it's experimental, then that's what it is, and she got better, right? That's, yeah, that's yeah, what that's, we need to know. Yeah. So anyway, that's just something I saw on the news, some sort of stem cell treatment by a cosmetic surgeon. I mean, I, along that levels, I, I just watched an episode, Charlie Rose, uh, where they were dealing with the RPE and uh, the tran- one of the patients there, they transplanted uh, one of her eyes, and she was able to see basically, you know, uh, her – things in her house for the first time that you know details that she hadn't seen in a a while and it was really encouraging along i mean we've had multiple episodes but to actually see patients and you know hear them in their own words describe things in their you know that they haven't seen before like the details of their cabinet in their house for the first time was like uh, it was pretty moving so 
That is pretty much. Charlie Rose is still going, huh, man? Yeah, he's got this brain series, and he always brings on Eric Kendall, who's like my, I love that guy. I, I just, I love that guy. His laugh is the best thing in the world, too. Yeah, I know. You tried doing it on the show a couple episodes back. That was pretty um, funny. So, yeah, go ahead. Um, all right, anyway, so, so. Um, I, last last episode, we talked about this paper in Nature Medicine where they put stem cells into the heart and basically got regrew muscle and it was made all this big news, right? Mm. Well, so there was this new there's this new controversy now in the stem cell field, and it's 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 around the heart. So apparently, there's this like huge camp and in, in, in this in this in the field of stem cells and cardiomyocyte and cardiac regeneration that says that uh, stem cells, the stem cells in that lineage, the CKIT positive. Uh, stem cells that would that they claim to make the cardiomyocytes. Uh, a lot of people suggest that those cells cannot make cardiomyocytes. I saw that C kit's bad, huh? Yeah. So this this was a paper in Nature, and it says C kit positive cells minimally contribute cardiomyocytes to the heart. And so really, what they did was they they used Cre recombinase in an inducible system, and they, you had know, that targeted kit the kit locus. So basically, they're able to monitor. Uh, you know, yeah, cells they, that are expressing kit. We call this fate mapping. Fate mapping the yeah, cells. So uh, exactly. That's what that's what Cree does. It changes the DNA and marks it permanently as soon as that gene is expressed. Right. So for any, if at any time a cell expresses kit, then it will be marked forever. So let's say you want to know. The question is, do CKIT cells contribute to the heart? Um, if you mark, they should be marked. So this group is saying. Hey, I don't know what the heck you guys are talking about, but those all those papers reporting stem cells engrafting and generating muscle in the heart, they're not coming from these stem cells because endogenously or in the animal, these cells don't give rise to cardiomyocytes. So I don't know what's going on. This is what this is what these people are saying. We don't know what's going on in those other studies, but if there is muscle being generated, it's not coming from the stem cells. So there is this whole controversy now that uh, can stem cells, are stem cells actually the cells that are making these cells in the heart? Or, you know, where is this really coming from? So this is now this whole, this is studies question use of stem cells to repair heart. So that was in Nature, and there's a bunch of opinion pieces going around about that. Um, let's see, this is that, this is a Nature Medicine, oh, this is that mitochondrial cardiomyopathy that Yosef talked about with the uh, heart and a chip technology, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. This was out of the group, this is out of Fred Gage's group, uh, Kristen Brennan and her lab now. She's at Sinai. This is a uh, this is a little bit older, about a month ago. But they they this is in molecular psychiatry. It's phenotypic differences in human human iPS stem cell MPCs or neural precursor cells derived from patients with schizophrenia. Mm. So they you know iPS cells can be used to model disease, and they're doing it in this context of mental disease, schizophrenia. And what they saw is that uh, they actually see that there's a deficit very early as early as the neural stem cells. So, you know, schizophrenia will progress and present later into, you know, adolescence and then adulthood. But in this study, when they when they modeled the disease from schizophrenic patients using IPS technology, they can see a phenotype in the neural precursor cells that early. So suggesting mm-hmm. that there's a problem very early in neural development, which makes sense. Yeah. So, uh that was a cool study from out of uh, Rusty Gage's but the, lab. But does that mean? I mean, I've heard like you know, I've re- heard, but like re- also that's like a pruning defect and like you know, imba- chemical imbalance. So, is do they speak to that at all? Or I'm, you know what it is? I think they're trying to understand predispositions. I think they're trying to understand whether or not people are are predisposed to becoming schizophrenic, uh, or um, you know. Um, 
what are the gene signatures? In other words, like, do you have a genetic signature that might lend you to become, you know, because they don't really know what the hell the cause is. So it's it's a lot of this, it's a lot of this whole environment and and genome interaction. Are you more susceptible to some sort of event? So I, 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 it's a good question, Yos, um, uh, and it's interesting. But they're seeing that um, the signature looks different very, very early on. So yeah. uh, check it out. It's in uh, molecular psychiatry. This was in Stem Cell Reports out of uh, Thomas Lane and Jeannie Loring's lab. Human neural precursor cells promote neurologic recovery in a viral model of multiple sclerosis. So they used uh, human neural stem cells, really, uh, and transplant them into the spinal cord, and they get a nice result and nice recovery in a viral model of MS. Um, so this is another approach for using stem cells to treat MS. Um, let's see here. Let's see if you get any... Uh, yeah, it says the findings indicate that a transient presence of the stem cells transplanted in an animal model had a powerful immunomodulatory effect and mediates recovery. Uh, and so, again, this is in stem cell reports. Um, this is cool. This is a cool technical um, uh, piece. Um, this was uh, in PLOS One, and this is called Recombinase-Mediated Reprogramming and Dystrophin Gene Addition in MDX mouse IPS cells. So, you know, a lot of the, we've talked about CRISPRs and talons. A, a lot of where we want to go now is be able to cor- correct mutations. So if a disease is caused by a gene mutation, then we can take IPS, make IPS cells from that patient, correct the mutation, mm-hmm. make the cell, and then put it back into the patient. That's where we're going, right? So what this group did was they created this new strategy, which is so cool. I love molecular, hardcore molecular biology, man. It's so cool. I don't really understand a lot of it, but this is so cool. So they took a plasmid. So plasmid is basically, uh, you know, you can make, it's in the lab we use plasmids there, used to express DNA, all right? So what they did was they created this plasmid, and on it, they put all of the Yamanaka factors, all right? So they have uh, OC4, CMIC, uh, KLF4, Nat. Is it Nanog? I always get them confused. Sox2. Socks too. I always get these things confused. Yeah. You think by now I would know that by heart. Omsk. Uh, Omsk. That's right. So then what they do is they take that plasmid, okay, and they're able to integrate it, uh, insert a single copy of these reprogramming genes at a safe location in the genome, okay? Mm -hmm. So they basically stick it into the genome of this fibroblast that has this gene mutation, okay? Then they use a different plasmid, and they integrate the full-length gene, so the normal gene, mm-hmm. okay, into the fibroblast, again, in a site-specific manner. Okay, and then they can turn on the factors, and they turn on the vectors, they reprogram the cells, and the resulting iPS cell is an iPS cell that now has the full-length gene, okay? Mm-hmm. And then they're able to, because these things are flanked by a Cree, they're able to remove these unwanted DNA sequences, including the reprogramming genes, uh, using a Cree enzyme. So they're basically able to add these two things, reprogram the fibroblast, fix the gene, and then take everything back out and we have a IPS cell with the with the corrected gene uh, just by adding, you know, little factors to the dish. I thought that was a really cool This strategy. was mouse, and what was the disease? This was done in mouse, and this is the disease was Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Oh, nice! Uh, but I think the the point is that you sh- you can be able to use it pan, 
Yeah, did and a cross for all. Didn't uh, Rudy Anish show this with beta thalassemia? And but I guess he didn't remove the the factors when they reprogrammed. But um, uh, yeah, they did. I, I'm trying to remember what Rudy did. I know he did a bunch of things where he made the mouse. Yeah, that had all the factors in it, and so you take the fibroblast and turn it on. I think this is that you can integrate it site specifically into the genome. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I know, I know um, they were able to like cure beta thalassemia in the mice uh, using iPS cells. So, uh, which sim- is kind of, kind of kind of a big deal, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big deal. So, uh, so, so for me, I mean, that's really all I got. Again, the stem cell uh, turnover is about two to three weeks in the literature, and we're right at that two weeks. So. Next, the next next episode, we should have some more papers out there to discuss. Cool. So uh, let's. Uh, what do you say we transition to the conference interviews? What do you think? Yeah, let's 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 hear some of these guys, and uh, yeah, let's do that. Okay. Okay, we're recording live from the Next Gen STEM Culture sponsored conference here in Saratoga Springs, New York, and uh, we're joined here with obviously Christopher Fasano. How you doing, everyone out there? And we have a beautiful day. I'm looking out on a golf course. Very beautiful out. Yeah, and uh, we are also joined with uh, some several of our guests here. We're going to interview people live from the conference. And uh, starting off, we're here with Fabian Lefay and uh, PhD at uh, Rockefeller University. Um, why don't you actually tell us about yourself and what you presented today? Hi, guys. Um, I'm Fabian from the Rockefeller University. And basically in the lab, we study primary immunodeficiencies, a set of rare genetic disorders that leads to severe infections in mostly children. And so we try to find uh, the genetic route for each one of those disorders using uh, whole exome sequencing or whole genome sequencing. And then basically my angle on this entire story is to try to use uh, human pluripotent stem cell to try to model those diseases in a dish. It's very cool. There's a lot of a lot of stuff here about disease in a dish modeling. Obviously, with stem cells, we talk a lot a lot, Yosef. But we haven't. I'm, I'm Fabian's stuff is interesting because I'm not very you know into the whole immune virus uh, immunodeficiency world. So it was cool. One of one of the good things about the conference is to come and learn something new. So you know that's obviously uh, for me what happened with this talk. And I think um, the other part of the meeting uh, that we try to do here, Fabian, and would like to get your take on it is we tried to have a little bit more of a lighter environment here. Uh, so I wonder if you wouldn't just let everyone know out there, you know, just your experience with the conference in general, let it, you know, give everyone a snippet into what, what it, what it's like. Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, I mean, it was the first time I was actually presenting at a conference. So it was a great first, uh, experience. Uh, the fact that the conference had a more like lighter tone to it. And especially having sessions where people can ask questions about technical difficulties. Sometimes mm-hmm. even in, within labs, we don't even talk about these kind of things, right? It's kind right. of hush-hush. Right. And, you know, people feel bad because their results are not up to par compared to some colleagues. And having, you know, this kind of subject being brought up within, you know, a conference is actually great because you have experts who can actually answer your questions. Yeah, and uh, I have to say the steak today was delicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's always a plus, the food and the drink. Um, but, I, you know, part, part of science is to be able to interact with other scientists. Um, and like you said, in a casual way where you can feel comfortable in talking to them. Because like you said, a lot of times we're so concerned about not giving the data away or telling about our project. But I think when the environment's a little more conducive to casuality, it, it makes people more free to talk. So I'm glad to hear that um, that that's what the conference is bringing 
Right, and another aspect to it is actually having the point of view of the industry. So guys like you, actually, who try to develop tools for you know improving research, uh, is a, a big plus. Uh, usually, you know, when you go to a big conference, you have those discussion panels, and you just listen to what people have to say. But here, we can actually interact with you guys directly, and tell you guys, you know, we really need a new tool to study this particular aspect of our research. And you know, you have ideas you can bring up, and you can maybe bring a new product, you know, to the market. Yeah, and uh, I have to say, I hopefully we could get uh, the lady who who gave the talk today on uh, skin. Uh, you know, I've never even seen a, a a stem cell talk on skin, making skin and the differentiation of making skin in a dish. So hopefully we could interview her as well. And uh, you know, keep it, it's been a very broad topics uh, today and yesterday. We had ALS, we had RPE today. Um, Describe your your the, the the disease. It was auto the immune. Um, I've right. never heard that term before. Right, basically, it's it's intrinsic immunity. So it's inborn error of intrinsic immunity. So you will have a single gene defects hmm. that leads to a deficiency in the defense mechanism against pathogens, so viral infection, for example, in one particular tissue. Uh, and so those are what we call non-classical primary immunodeficiencies. And the best example of such a disease is right now herpes simplex encephalitis. So it's a herpes virus infecting the brain cells in some patients and, you know, triggering a very severe um, inflammation. Yeah, and uh, that's how you actually came to the Casanova lab, right? Yes, exactly. So I was on the IPS side of things, just doing uh, differentiations and establishing protocols. And I was frustrated by just having to do uh, manual work, if you want, without really having a purpose to what I was doing. Like making cells is great, but what do you do with it? And so um, having a set of diseases where, you know, a lab really wanted us to help them out and try to actually uh, push forward the research uh, was for me like very exciting. It's it's really cool to see the pe- the, the broad application base of stem cell and the future for stem cell therapeutic. Um, everyone, I feel, you know, I'll, I'll, we're, we're kind of nervous system, maybe biased, uh, at least Yosef and I definitely, and Fabian as well, have, have this neuro background, but, um, so you hear about that maybe a little bit more, but the applications for stem cells are very broad, and to see here, here today, and talk, looking at stem cells, with, you know, immunodeficiencies, viruses, things like this, it really shows you how stem cells have kind of crossed medicine and will break through. Uh, to be something very significant. So uh, we hope that the speakers here and the younger scientists will move on to uh, be the next generation of stem cell scientists, which is why we have the name of the uh, conference. And so, uh, you know, uh, thank you, Fabian, for coming to give a talk. You're welcome. And thanks for talking in this to everybody in the Stem Cell Podcast. Good luck with everything going forward. So, okay, uh, we we got a DJ over here. That's Daylon James. Uh, Crowd fam- favorite. Yes, one of our favorite uh, people to interview. Um, most downloaded. Yes, the most <laughs> downloaded podcast episode ever was <laughs> Daylon That's James. That, sure. This one's going to be <laughs> Yes, but uh, Dr. James works over at Cornell University, while Cornell University, where he is an assistant professor. He has his own lab where he works primarily on blood and... Um, blood? Yes, making uh, blood from human ES cells. And um, I should let you actually describe your work in, in the first person. Great. Thanks for having me back, guys. Yeah, it's he's back. It's a pleasure. I love you guys. Great, great. I'm really happy the show's taken off. You guys are doing a terrific job. Super entertaining. Um, so, since we last talked, I know we talked about blood. 
But uh, I'm moving on to a bit to the heart. I'm not moving on, but you know I have a balanced program working on the heart and heart disease. And because Yos, I know you're running out of gametes. I'm trying to <laughs> trying to re up, trying to get some uh, stem cells to gametes, mostly eggs. But for Yos, I'm going to do a little bit the other guys too, the swimmers, because he he works his so, out. So the gametes are the eggs and the sperm. It's the eggs and the sperm, the uh, germ cells, the cells that carry on. Actually, uh, our we, genetic information. We covered uh, this on one of the the uh, science roundup from the last episode. How how it's hard to imagine making sperm from stem cells, human ES cells, because if you look at the pictures, these flat cells, and I mean, I guess a neuron is also hard to conceptually, but. The, in terms of like a cell, make how do you make sperm from you know? I know you have to make the germ primordial cells first, right? Um, so it's actually it's a black box. The question is a good one, and I'm interested in the end point, which is getting the the cells, the sperm, the eggs. But really, uh, we're creating a platform so we can understand that process. It's been done though. There's this guy, Japanese group, uh, Saitu's group. He's taken embryonic stem cells from a mouse. He makes them into primordial germ cells with either the XX female or XY genotype. PGC. PGC. Uh, primordial germ cell. And he takes those cells and he compounds them with fetal gonad. So he kind of makes like a kind of bizarre Dr. Moreau-like <laughs> compound niche and implants <laughs> it into a, into a mouse. And then the endogenous signals involved in you know, gonadogenesis and, and gametogenesis in vivo, they act on those exogenous primordial germ cells. They make then, sperm, they make eggs, and then it gets live-born pups. It's really solid. Wow, that's pretty awesome. But wait, so, so but no one's really, no, no one's really reported. So what I'm thinking about it, thinking, oh, it's funny, like, Joseph, like, you have your pluripotent stem cell, and you end up with this flagellar yeah. sperm Swimming. with, like, no. a modile tail. No. Like, that's not really No one's done that all right? in vitro. Some groups, like, uh, Paris group, who's just at Stanford, moved to Montana. She just showed you can make spermatocyte-like, like kind of early progenitors. But no one gets swimmers in a dish or okay. eggs in a dish. Not okay. yet. And I think what we need to do is kind of figure out the signals. Swimmers. Well, it that's, seems that's quite the challenge. Term. So so was this always in the making, or this is a new endeavor for you? It's a new endeavor. I'm fat. You know... I was trained as an embryologist, and my first, you know, love was seeing a, a fertilized egg become a free-swimming tadpole and a frog. Right in a day, that happened. And you could watch it in timeless video. It's really captivating. So it's for me, it's really uh, gratifying to be going back to the actual germ cell so that we can kind of go full loop and start again. Also, very quickly, I think it's going to be a really important tool if we can make eggs. We'll have an unlimited resource for SCNT, which is getting a lot of traction. A lot, lot of news. A lot of showing news. showing we can do it. But if the limitation now is getting good quality oocytes. So if we open up that bottleneck, then I think that we can really uh, capitalize. You know, so you're a good person to ask this question. We, we were talking about, you know, Dieter's new paper from NICEF that just came out, SCNT. We're going to have Dieter come on the show. But someone who's been in that space, especially in the early embryology space, do you think that SENT is a, is still a plausible rival to the IPS technology for regenerative medicine? I mean, I mean that's kind of a broad question, but do you really still think it has the potential to get? I do. You do. I think it's perhaps not. It's certainly not as high throughput right now. It hasn't been optimized, but the pace of advance to me says that there was a breakthrough by Metalopov uh, over a year ago. And it seems like everyone is, yes, using his same techniques. Is Now they're just stacking up the paper showing, oh, we can do it in this, we can do it in that. Every paper is doing a couple different lines. So I think it's clear 
And the technical hurdles are down, and now it's just a matter of optimization and source material. And those are just, I think, relatively minor problems. A few years ago, we didn't believe it was going to work. A lot of people yeah. gave up. So I think this is a big deal, and I think that the, no one's ever going to be able to argue with the fact that this is much more, it's closer to the gold standard. These are cells that we can be more comfortable using therapeutically. It's cool. I don't know if I fully understand all of that SCNT stuff. I feel like it's a technique. We talked about it a little bit. The technique is just wild. Actually, uh, Dieter Dieter will be a good person to to ask these sort of questions to as well because he's he's really you know been doing it for a while and is pretty much an expert at uh, generating stem cell lines uh, using uh, that sort of uh, technology. So, um, thanks a lot, Daylon. Sure. Um, so you guys, I got to say, this is a great conference. The next gen, a little plug for it. I was here last year. Bigger, better, badder this year. Last B, night. B, B, and B. The B, triple B, B. B. Watch out. Next year, I don't want to be here because I might not survive. You guys should all join us next year. We're staring. I know Dalen's trying to get up out of this chair because we're staring out on the 18th hole in a beautiful day. And uh, we have 30 minutes left in our break. I don't even golf, and I want to get out on those links. Okay, so we have uh, one of the speakers who spoke today, Kurt Vogel from uh, Thermo Fisher Scientific. Uh, it's really cool, Yosef, uh, talking about uh, uh, gene editing uh, and, and disease binding, specifically in Parkinson's disease, which which is very cool. Uh, welcome, welcome to the show, Kurt. Thanks for thanks for doing this interview. Sure. Uh, so, bef- you know, before you talk a little bit about which you know what, what what you were talking about today to the audience here at the Next Gen Conference, would you mind just telling the audience a little bit about the conference so far and uh, you know the feel of it, and 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 you know some of the some of the stuff that that you think is is nice about the meeting. Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, it's a uh, beautiful location where we're we're here at. Uh, you know, on a golf course overlooking a golf course and a beautiful day. Uh, you know, it always helps. <laughs> I mean, I would characterize it as a uh, a smaller informal meeting, uh, which is very nice. Um, plenty of opportunities to, to interact with people outside of the, uh, the sessions and, and talk and just sit around and, uh, you know, everybody's very friendly and nice. So, uh, it's, it's been good. And, um, so today you gave a great talk, um, to a subject that's near and dear to my heart, um, Parkinson's disease. And, uh, why don't you, uh, explain to the audience what the scope of, uh, what you're trying to convey today was. Sure. So it, what I was talking about today was part of a, a larger project that we've got going on with uh, Birgit Chula at the Parkinson's Institute on Sunnyvale, California, where the, the overall goal of the project is to create disease-in-a-dish models uh, for studying Parkinson's disease. Um, what I talked about today was you know, a small piece of that project, really the, the genome editing part, where we've been going into the cells and mutating specific genes that are uh, known to be involved in Parkinson's disease. And so what we're interested in doing is actually going in and correcting uh, mutations in a, in a couple of the genes. Uh, LARC2 uh, kinase glucocerebosidase involved in uh, lysosomal function. Um, and really, it's, a, it's an area that uh, the genome editing is something that a lot of people are interested in, and it's a, it's a very difficult uh, workflow. So I just wanted to talk about some of the challenges we had and uh, how we addressed them. And so today you presented some uh, Talons technology. Have you guys done any uh, CRISPR or plan on moving to the CRISPR? Sure. So 
the short answer is, is, is yes and yes. So we've, we've done a little bit of work. The, the project started about two years ago, and uh, a little over two years ago, uh, when talons were about as hot then as, as crispers are now. So, um, you know, since then, we, we've looked at crispers. We certainly have uh, confirmed what everybody else has shown is that they are much more efficient um, uh, when it comes down to, to cutting your, your desired uh, location in the, in the, the genome. Um, and we're going to start moving into uh, doing some of our future edits using the, the CRISPR technology. So th- is that really, I was, I was actually just going to ask, you know, are people just saying CRISPR because it's the thing to say? Or the advantage really there is that well, the efficiency is, is better, but the end point is similar? I well, I, I think the efficiency absolutely is better, and I think from um, at least from the upfront workflow perspective of needing to design constructs that target your spe- specific locus, um, CRISPR is substantially easier. You just need to design a, a piece of RNA that is complementary to your, your targeting sequence, and not you know these larger talent constructs, which uh, you know are going to take a long. You have to order them; they're going to cost more money, and they're going to take longer to get there. So. Uh, it certainly saves you that upfront time and, and money. The downstream, though, once you've done the editing, there's still substantial work required to, you know, identify your properly edited clones uh, and then fully characterize those clones, which I think is is a is a big thing that people need to be aware of. And and finally, uh, maybe you could give us our listeners uh, some perspective because we haven't had many um, scientists that are in industry. On the podcast, and um, how you uh, you've been with the company for a while now? How I've long been with the company uh, over thirteen years now. Yeah, okay. Different, different, same, 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 uh, same desk, different names. <laughs> and uh, what's your, uh, you know, just give us a sort of an overview or like any thoughts on industry versus academia. I mean, I, I love uh, being in industry. I mean, uh, you know, one thing that we've got in industry that uh, is fantastic is access to technologies and, and access to people who understand those technologies. So, you know, uh, I couldn't even tell you now as part of Thermo Fisher uh, how many folks we have in R&D, but, you know, I, I can reach out to any of them. Um, you know, I was talking to some people here about our, our new uh, lipofectamine 3000, you know. I mean, I know the guy who developed that, and so when we want to start using that, I can reach out to the guy who developed that and start using it. So it's great. It's great. Well, I feel old because when I was lipofecting, it was 2000, <laughs> so we're up to 3000 now. Uh, lipofectamine is probably one of the most consistently used reagents, I would presume, right? Everyone, I remember lipofectamine from way back as well. Uh, industry, you know, the it's there's so much i mean i feel like nowadays especially in this field talk about academic and industry i feel like there's a lot of overlap and synergy and i think there needs to be i really do i think because and i think i'm I'm glad that that we do have an industry presence here because you know it's not just this it's not just scientists you know in a lab doing work it's scientists in labs or you know people building technologies and industry that that are working together to get towards that goal so it's good that there's an interaction between the two it's it's almost like the physicians and the and the uh, you know the phds and the mds there needs to be synergy because the common the common goal here is to find some some therapeutics and cures so we need to all work together on the same front so i'm glad to see we have that participating here um well Thank you so much for taking some time. All right, thanks. And enjoy the rest of the conference. All right, thanks. thanks. Okay, so we're continuing our li- – this is cool. We're doing live interviews. This is a, uh, our live interview with Nicole Dubois, assistant professor at Mount Sinai, and she uh, spoke today on her work. Very nice. Welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much. And so you were talking about using stem cells or pluripotent stem cells to, you know, look at heart disease, uh, making cardiomyocytes and such. And so if you wouldn't just mind, just real quick, just tell, tell in a minute or two of uh, the audience about uh, what your lab is doing, what you're, what you're looking for, and what you hope to use stem cells to do. Absolutely. So, as you mentioned, we work on differentiation of pluripotent stem cells, both uh, human ES and iPS cells. The, I would say the focus of the lab right now is to look further into cell specification of the different lineages of the myocardial uh, uh, cell populations. That is definitely one part that is more developmental biology oriented. And then we recently started a few more disease models where we look, uh, one example would be what we discussed this morning, uh, to look at the cardiac phenotype of uh, Duchenne muscle dystrophy patients. And, you know, this is something we've probably dropped the ball on. You're, you're the first heart person we've interviewed, and um, it's it's really a big deal. And we've talked about some of the publications that have come out. I don't know if I'm sure you've seen it where they uh, replaced like 40% of the macaque heart uh, yes. in nature. Absolutely. Thing, yeah. It's a beautiful paper by Chuck Murray's group. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a big deal. Heart disease is what, the number one killer? In the country? Yeah, I think there's probably, you know, some rivalry with cancer, <laughs> but, uh, but they're probably which, both, which both means up it's, there. It's, but <laughs> it's a lot. It's very serious. And, I'm in, you know, you'd be a good question to ask. We talked about it on the paper, that study. And one of the, the things that stuck out to me was the amount of cells they had to use. It was something as a billion cells. A billion. Yeah, it's a lot of cells. So is that just because the area they have to put it in is requires a large number, or is it the bigger the, si- the size of the heart? Is it just a number game? You need more cells. Is that the idea? Or? I think it's it's probably a combination of both. I mean, uh, in a typical infarct, I don't know the exact number of cells, but you do lose in a typical human infarct in the heart. You will lose billions of cells, and if you want to restore full function of that area of the heart, you will have to replace an equivalent am- amount of cells. But in, in a, I guess, you know, they would be able to answer that much better, but I'm imagining that also in a technical sense, you will lose cells when you put right. them in the It's heart. almost like compensate so for a loss, possibly, of some cells, exactly. so you have to put more in. And in comparison to other cell types, they are also not proliferative, so it's not that you will be able to expand whatever you put in. And Nicole today presented some cool data where she used fax technology, F-A-C-S, not the F-A-X machine, uh, to uh, purify cardiomyocytes uh, using from human ES cells. And uh, so just briefly, where do you uh, expect to go in the future with your lab? Uh, what kind of research you want to do in the future uh, using stem cells? So since you mentioned, you know, Sir Palfa, the marker that we have identified when I was still um, as a postdoc in Gordon Keller's laboratory, that has definitely helped us, you know, to move the projects forward a little bit more faster and maybe a little bit more precisely. So um, we weren't able before to isolate the cardiomyocytes. So, you know, that will help us with both the topics I've mentioned in the beginning, whether it's studying, you know, specific subtypes in the heart, um, or actually, you know, ideally we want to identify more of these markers um, that will help us to be even more refined with the system. I think that's what we're lacking right now. We still have a very heterogeneous, you know, cell population. And for a lot of the disease models we would like to study, I think it's probably not going to be enough. So that's definitely, you know, well, an sc- area. Screening using the right reporter and antibody screening is an excellent format. It's something I'm doing as well. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's exciting to see somebody use the same approach and get some uh, solid results. So congratulations on that. And uh, thank you you for joining us. Any last thoughts? Are you enjoying yourself at the conference? I think the conference is amazing. We actually just had lunch downstairs in this beautiful setting and we all, you know, anonymously agreed that 
this conference is really, you know, exceeding all our expectations. So, oh, that's you know, great to hear. Oh, no problem. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a really awesome. We were just talking to a bunch of other speakers. It's it's just such an like Tim said it best. It's like sitting in your couch in your living room with a bunch of people talking science. It's very, it's uh, very very casual. And thank you for being a part of it and talking to us about your work. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Last but not least, we have one last interview uh, with an assistant professor from Yale. Her name is Valerie Horsley. Uh, she gave a nice talk today uh, talking about skin from stem cells. And uh, since, you know, we never really interviewed anybody who, who makes skin from stem cells, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on board. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, why don't you just talk into the mic talk, a little more? Uh, okay. So why don't you tell us about uh, the presentation you gave today? So we're um, interested in trying to understand how um, stem cells differentiate um, and just doing a very simple analysis of the topography of human embryonic stem cell colonies. We found that they tend to differentiate at the edge of the colony. Um, and so we were interested in how that occurs. And so we analyzed colonies of different sizes and we found that the the differentiation seems to occur in a consistent pattern with the same size band um, differentiating in a three-day simulation of with bone morphogenic protein 4. Um, and so when we look at the colonies, we find that there's more tension at the edge of the colony. And so we think that perhaps um, mechanical strain within the colony is priming cells for differentiation. Yeah, that was very cool. I mean, I notice myself, right, we look at cells, you get that sort of ring of differentiation around and that idea of the mechanical that pull is very cool um and i i, I we were talking I, I was reading papers about mechanical stress on cells and stem cells in this world and it's a very very cool phenomenon and i don't know much about it so it's cool to hear i, I was wondering uh, you probably saw there was a paper we talked about a little bit on the show about the generation of uh, skin in a 3d layer like a barrier layer the uh, right. in in the dish i thought that was really cool because it's a very complex structure i imagine did you, you you saw that study? I was wondering if you could just like tell us a little bit about what kind of advance that would be in in the, in the field. Yeah, so I think um, if we could efficiently generate keratinocytes from hum, human embryonic stem cells, you could imagine that they could be used in burn to treat burn patients or um, children with skin diseases where they have large areas of skin that are needed. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's very exciting that those cells that are generated from embryonic stem cells can make an organotypic um, functional skin. And are, are you new to the stem cell world or have you always worked with um, stem cells? I, I mostly have worked with adult stem cells, um, okay. but yeah, so I, starting to work with embryonic stem cells is a new field for me. And how's that treating you? Um, it's interesting. It's <laughs> the human ES work is a lot slower than I anticipated it being. Um, but I think it's really amazing how much we're learning about the early specification of keratinocytes from the culture system. And so, um, it's, it's a fun new area for us. Cool. Well, welcome to the conference and thank you so much for coming. Are you yeah, enjoying yourself at the me. conference? Yeah, it's great. It's we a had great. a really good time last night. We'll have, uh, we heard some good talks. I think we got a one final session to go. And then the meeting is over. So thank you for the little bit of time. Yeah, and thank, thank you. you so much for coming. Wow. So that was it, man. Uh, we're back. Cool, <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, so I like the whole live thing. It's a cool feel. Yeah, that's new for us. We're going to try and do something similar in a major meeting coming up soon. Uh, you going to give away those beans? 
Uh, soon we'll give away those beans, but we'll be at ISSCR. Uh, and if, 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 if not at the meeting, we're going to grab you in the hotel lobby to interview you for sure. <laughs> or in the elevator, you know, no. Yeah, salon. wherever. In yeah. the morning with your coffee. Maybe we'll show up at your room. Whatever we got to do. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to that. But before we end the podcast, we got to do a quick rant. And, uh, my, my, I, I got the rant this time. And, um, I'm just going to rant about something non-science related, and it's about bathrooms, air spritzers. I don't know if you have one of these in the bathroom at your work. There's not one at my current work, but my old work, they have one of these. And I went to a restaurant the other day here in New York, and they have one of these things. And it spritz like that air freshener stuff. It's like automatic, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, it, did, it got in my eyes. My eyes were burning. I smelled like fake pine tree. And I walked out of there. I was offended. I was like, I was really upset about it. I, was, I had some chem synth spray in my eye, and I smelled like a... You know, like some chemical that I have no idea what it is, and I was wait, but where? What, they're normally fairly high up on the wall. Where was it? Did you like the, what happened? It was high up, but it was not that high up. I guess I'm tall enough where I couldn't get out in time. <laughs> there wasn't enough maneuverability at the time, and you know, I I I, I was so I was like longing for the days of potpourri can we just go back to potpourri and not get sprayed with this whatever chemical yeah you know stuff? I, my experience with those is that they're always i remember just st- sitting in a bathroom one time just washing my hands and i hear like like this noise and i'm like <laughs> what the hell is that noise i look up and i see it and it was going like a little too frequent <laughs> you know like i was in the bathroom for like two minutes and it it, it like released its contents two or three times and i'm thinking to myself that's a lot of air freshener. Like, is that necessary? Like, where am I right now? Yeah, this one was like right above where you would stand in a guy's, you know, bathroom. Just like there was, it was strategically placed to just like either get your back or get your eyes, <laughs> which is what it got in my in my case. And I was just like, why? Can we not? Can we sign a disclosure or something? We all have to agree as a society that uh, we want this because I certainly do not, and it's just a. I, can we just? Ri- I want to rip them out and of I, every place. I, I don't understand. The, yeah, I don't understand the obsession with an overly sweet smelling bathroom. I understand that you don't want a bathroom to smell bad, right? That's obvious. But you clean a bathroom, and hopefully that it's not that bad. But is it necessary to have a twenty four hour? constant fragrant release uh, uh, going yeah, on was, inside of, of a room? Probably dude, I, not. Right? I was longing for the days of potpourri or those sticks in the oil. I was like, anything, a candle, but but anything but that. But uh, So there's my rant. It's not really science-related. Nah, man, anything, that's so. you got to do yeah. what you got to do. If something pisses you <laughs> off, uh, you got to put it out there. Just like I hope if something really gets to anyone out there, you give us ideas for rants. You can see the next time anyone's in a bathroom and gets a air fresher squirted in their face, they're going to think of the Stem Cell Podcast. <laughs> for better or for worse. So, uh, for better or for worse. Yeah. All right, man. Let's All close right, it down. Chris. All right, talk to you later. All right, man.